0: Support for Inquisitive comes from Lynda.com, Cards Against Humanity, and Campaign Monitor. Welcome back to Inquisitive Behind the App. This is episode 5 of our series. I'm Mike Hurley. If you're developing an iOS app, sooner or later you'll have to go through the approval process if you want to put it onto the App Store. This process involves... Uploading your app that you've been developing for weeks, months, years even, to iTunes Connect, which is Apple's developer portal for iOS apps, where you're able to view your app sales information as well as manage the approval process. And once it's there, you just click the submit button and wait, and wait, and wait. Whilst you're waiting, someone at Apple is going to receive your app for approval and run it through a series of wholly unknown tests. The assumed method is that they have some programs that they run your app through to test for bugs, crashes, or any malicious code. And then someone will actually use your app like a customer would to try it and make sure it works as advertised and that it meets Apple's criteria for submission. As a developer, you have pretty much no idea exactly what's going on during this time or how long your app will be in review for. The timelines seem to fluctuate and there's no way of knowing where you fall in the queue of maybe 1000 million people in front of you or behind you. There's no way of knowing. It can take a couple of days for approval, it can take a couple of weeks. For unknown reasons, it fluctuates. Whilst your app is in review, you're just waiting for a notification of when your status may change. There's no conversation, timeline, or expectations for when or if your app will be approved. You simply move from status to status, from in review, depending developer release, which means it's been accepted or rejected. It's an old Apple way of communication. If your app is rejected, you get some kind of statement from Apple. But in all honesty, it's not a lot. For example... Matt Cheatham, developer of an app named GIF Finder, saw his app rejected by the App Store review team after an update. The app's main functionality had remained unchanged since 2012. It's an app that lets you search the Giphy database to retrieve animated GIFs. With his rejection that came in February of 2015, he was told by the representative in the app review team. Your app includes content or features that resembles various well-known third-party marks, including Disney characters. Matt followed the next stage of the app review guidelines, which states, If your app is rejected, we have a review board that you can appeal to. So Matt made an appeal, and the app was rejected again. Thank you for your response and prompt attention to the trademark issue. However, we are not able to accept third-party related applications, for example, with Disney or BBC content without authorization from the rights holder. It would be appropriate to remove those categories and images. Matt tried to explain, but this continued. He tried to explain that he was just searching the Giphy database, that there were other apps that was doing this, but it wasn't working. As of recording, Matt has yet to be able to get anything turned around. But he has stated that Apple are going to be talking with him soon about this. They're going to be having a call. It could be said that after writing about this and it getting picked up, shining a light onto his situation, it may have kicked someone at Apple to apply a little more common sense to the issue. At least that's what you'd hope. However, interestingly, that line that I read from the review guidelines earlier, if your app is rejected, we have a review board that you can appeal to, it is immediately preceded by the following. If you run to the press and trash us, it never helps. The review process can be very stressful for an app developer. You've been working on your app for months, and you're confident you have something that's good, but it's not possible to guess everything that the review team will be happy with. One of the main problems with this is differing opinion. If somebody sees something they're not happy with, they can reject you. There are many cases where a previously accepted app is rejected when it's updated simply because a fresh set of eyes views something differently, or catches something, or has a totally different opinion to somebody who viewed it previously.
1: So, to to give you an example, um, one of our app descriptions had in there something like, you know, Pocket Cast, blah, blah, blah. But basically, it's multi platform. You can use it on the web and you can use it on Android. You know, it syncs to those two platforms. We didn't say anything else about the platforms, but Apple has a rule, you know, in the app approval rules that says you shall not mention any other platform. And that had been in the description for a good three months and they didn't seem to mind or no one had noticed. And then all of a sudden, you know, we submitted some of your review and they're like, oh, this mentions other platforms and they don't give you the specific bit. They don't even call it out. They just say, you know, thou shalt not mention other platforms. And so I had to remove the word web and Android and just put in other and they seemed all right with that. So, yeah, that's that's why we do that kind of editing these days.
0: That's Russell Ivanovic from Shifty Jelly. Russell's example is a clear display of how a different set of eyes can pick up on something, something you previously thought would be OK and have a totally different view about it. However, Russell has since discovered a little trick to get around having his entire app rejected just because of the description.
1: Don't tell anyone, but these days what I do is I remove a lot of stuff from our description. I put almost nothing in the the what's new. I press the submit button. When it gets approved, I go and change that stuff because I'm terrified of you know them picking up little things that that they do quite often. There's a there's a pro tip. You can't change the screenshot afterwards, but you can change the description and the what's new. Apparently that goes through an approval process, but I don't think it actually does. It's about an hour turnaround to you know you change the description and the what's new. And that actually goes live to the store. So what we generally do is we we press the hold for release button. Uh, Apple approves it. We go and change the description and the what's new to something actually meaningful. And then we press the go button and out it goes.
2: I have an app review an app uh, update pending right now.
0: That's Marco Arment, developer of Overcast and previously
2: Instapaper. And the only stress I feel about it is what if it sails through app review and I publish it and it has some big bug? because then I can't get a new version out for possibly a week, uh, possibly longer, possibly shorter. You know, you can request an expedited review if it's if your app is having a serious problem, but, you know, you, you're not guaranteed that. So that is my biggest concern, is, is not that I'm going to get rejected for something new I did. Because for the most part, like, again, like I, I've been paying attention to the way Apple does things for a long time. So I can, like, things that I know are going to almost certainly not be allowed, I just won't do them. And, and that, you know, from a, you could argue that might be a bad thing for you know, innovation's sake, that maybe Apple needs to be concerned about, about that effect to some degree. But, you know, I'm very pragmatic in, in what I do. I'm, I'm not going to waste months on something that I'm pretty sure is not going to be allowed. Uh, so, or or that, that, I, that I even have doubts on, you know, I'm, I don't think they'll let me do that. So I'll do small things. I'll push managers in small ways. So, you know, the, the linking to my competitors in my, in my settings screen,
0: what Marco's talking about here is in his settings screen for his app Overcast, he had a collection of links to his competitors' apps as a kind of if you don't like this, go and try these other apps out. Just as a way to say to people there is other competition, there's other things going on out there.
2: There's actually a rule against linking to other apps for different purposes and like it's very vaguely worded and a lot of apps have gotten rejected for linking to other apps from their about screens. And it's it's very uh again, it's it's very vague as to like under what context you are allowed to link to other apps from your app cuz you aren't allowed to make like things like app shop or like things like you know other apps that are general app search engines or general app sales promotion things but you can link to like your own apps under certain circumstances so it's it's very vague i i know that that is a rejection risk that having having the list of competitor apps in my settings screen is definitely a high risk for rejection at any time That rule could change at any time. Uh, uh, Every update I submit, a reviewer might look at that and say, you know what? We don't want to allow that. Um, That's always a risk. But it's not that big of a deal.
0: If, If that starts becoming a problem for me, if they start rejecting the app for that, I'll just take it out. Marco was right. In January of 2015, a couple of weeks after we had this conversation, an update to Overcast was rejected because he was linking to other apps in his About screen.
2: I don't want to take it out, but if I have to, it's no big deal. Uh, but the main features of the app like I wouldn't have made a podcast app if I thought that
0: podcast apps were going to get rejected so Marco was right he took it out, he said he wasn't mad he was just annoyed that there was a submission delay and now Overcast doesn't have those links anymore This episode is brought to you by lynda.com, the online learning platform of over 3,000 on-demand video courses to help you strengthen your business, technology, and creative skills. For a free 10-day trial, visit lynda.com slash inquisitive. That's lynda.com slash inquisitive. Lynda.com is for problem solvers, for the curious, for people who want to make things happen. Maybe you want to master Excel, learn negotiation tactics, build a website, or boost your Photoshop skills. Go to Lynda.com and feed your curious mind. Whilst browsing around Lynda.com, I have come across some incredible courses. Like, for example, maybe you want to learn a little bit about typography, or the foundations of colour, as you're really interested in design. Maybe you want to get up and running with IFTTT and see how you can use automation to make your technology life that little more interesting. These are some of the incredible courses that you're able to get a handle on at lynda.com. These are all taught by experts who are really passionate about teaching. You can stream these courses and thousands more on demand, allowing you to learn at your own schedule and at your own pace. You can even watch them on your Android or iOS device on the go, too. You can create and save playlists that you're able to share with others and you're able to follow along with each video with the great transcripts. Your Lynda.com membership will give you unlimited access to training on hundreds of topics, all for one flat rate. Whether you're looking to become an industry expert, you're passionate about a hobby, or you just want to learn something new, I want you to visit Lynda.com inquisitive to sign up for your free 10-day trial. Thank you so much to Lynda.com for supporting this show and all of Relay FM. Majorly, Apple is very uncommunicative during this process, making some developers feel alienated. The goalposts for what is acceptable in the App Store change over time, and Apple have historically been pretty bad at communicating what's acceptable and what their changes are. There is a concern, amongst some, that Apple's continuation of this practice could be detrimental in the long-term success of their platform.
2: That's That's a big problem Apple has with developers and the public in general is that they are so faceless like they the the way they they communicate or or don't rather for the most part um it's very hard to see past this brick wall like there's there's a brick wall of apple and they occasionally emit a press release and that's all you know of apple uh the fact is there's tons of humans that work there like apple is composed of tons of humans and they and they they have good days they have bad days they have feeling they make mistakes uh and they have debates and opinions inside like we treat them as like this this wall that that has like this one true opinion of everything and and the fact is it isn't it's more complicated than that but they don't show us that like they you can't see that from the outside from the outside the wall theory is is all you have to go on so when they have issues like somebody made a mistake like (laughs) you know some app reviewer made the wrong call And, and, you know, we can't see that we don't, we can't, to us, it looks like, well, this is just, this is how Apple is. Like, that's all, that's the only choice we have, period. So it's, it's very, it's very hard to, to see past like the faceless wall that, that is Apple's public persona and to see, you know, oh, there's people there.
0: On the other hand, David Smith believes that maybe the core of the problem sits somewhere else. His view is generally more pragmatic about Apple's helpfulness to developers, and he believes that the main risks for Apple and their platform are actually external.
3: If it's at some point, if the situation with developer interest on iOS and on the Mac uh, became so limited to a certain point and they got desperate, I could see that changing. But I don't... The funny thing is, I don't know if that would necessarily help the problem, like... I don't think that the the challenges that developers face in terms of um the closeness of apple's developer experience um are really the core reason or the problem with uh the you know that are that create the situations that we run into with weird app rejections and things like it might it might help somewhat, but in my experience i mean the developer relations team is pretty good and if you really have a genuine problem and you need to get get attention from somebody they're available and you can re- reach the appropriate person that you need maybe not as quickly as you might like um but the i don't see that if developer interest is moving somewhere else if it was moving outside of ios i think that would be much more to do with the platform itself's viability and nothing to do with the developer relations. You know, the developer relations is maybe, I'm sure it could always get better. But if I saw, you know, if Android became the next big thing or whatever platform it was the developer interest was going to, it's the reason people would be leaving is because the business was better there.
0: But for as long as they are this popular, and for as long as there are developers that can make serious money
1: on the app store, what incentive do they have to change? I think we as developers, we like to think that um if apple continues to treat us badly and if they don't improve things that you know bad things will happen to them but i've got to be honest if if apple's goal is to make as much money as they can and if their goal is to build the best products that they can um it's it seems to me that being tight-lipped is is the best way to do that you can look at it and say well it's working
2: so far you know it's it's very hard to 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 say what apple should do because they've been doing things the way they feel like
1: doing them for a long time, and it works. But they're not aggressively against developers. You know, they love having developers on their their platform. They want to see developers be successful. But if there's one failing that I feel that you know they've currently sort of got, it's that it's almost like they see developers as as an infinitely renewable resource. You know, they they care that developers on the whole appear successful, but I don't think they they particularly would lose any sleep, you know, if, if Shifty Jelly went out of business or even if someone as big as, you know, Panic went out of business. I don't, I don't think that would really affect their platform in a negative way. But I think the difference is when we're in such a small little, you know, developer and, and tech sort of coverage bubble is that we feel really passionate about that. You know, something bad happens to Panic. Like, oh, you can't do that. You know, these guys have been on the Apple platform for how long now and, and this is how you're treating them. And I guess we often like to be a bit, hyperbolic you know if apple continues this way then everything will come crumbling down but i really don't think it will and i think that's that's the hard truth of it all is that that we don't apple doesn't need us you know <laughs> there's no one at apple going oh you know i want to make russell feel happy because they don't need to know or, or care who i am they all they need to know is that their apis are good their sdks are solid and that developers keep turning up and they they will you know it it is literally like if if we went out of business today or Someone else went out of business and stopped making apps. Someone else would turn up.
2: With developers, you you can look at this. You can look at the current situation. You can you can see like, well, we're all still developing for it. So it's it's hard to know. You know, you can definitely look and and like my my warning recently has been like, they have angered and and turned off and turned away so many developers over the years with app review, and, and again like it might just be that they're that they're making up and making a mistake 0.1% of the time but 0.1% of a lot of apps adds up and so you know they the developers they have angered have been some pretty big names they they've been some like i mean if you look at like the the great developers on mac like panic like panic posted their 2014 report of how their business is going and They've just had a terrible time with iOS and the Mac App Store. I mean, they're a little bit nicer about it in their post, but if if you read it, the implication is pretty clear. Like, they just are are extremely turned off by it. And I mean, and the Mac App Store has a whole set of problems. But I think Apple has squeezed too hard in, in a number of areas, and and it's costing them all this goodwill. So the question is, though, what will happen as a result of that? I you know. I don't think everyone's going to Android, but I do think someone's going to Android. Like, I don't, again, I don't think this is going to be a major shift, but right now, pretty much every awesome indie developer is on iOS. Like, I I mean, I can't think of any that are on Android, really. I mean, or maybe maybe Shifty Jelly, you know, they, they do Pocket Cast on Android and that does well, but I think they're the only ones I can think of <laughs> that have, like, a real Android presence that, that that try Android and actually stick with it and, and have that be a major part of their business. Uh, I can't think of any others. <laughs> Maybe it's just the circles I run in. I don't know. I think that's going to change. I, I think we're going to start seeing like a lot more developers say, you know what? I'm done. Like Some decision Apple made rubbed me the wrong way. I'm done. And I'm going to Android. And we, again, it's not going to be a lot. It's not going to be everybody. But I think it's going to go from effectively zero to some. And that should be worrying to Apple. because. Where it goes from there, like it is dangerous territory. I think it could amplify. Something, somebody could make a really awesome app for Android first or only for Android, and, and then what? You know, then Apple's really, you know, in a bad spot.
0: Marco mentioned Shifty Jelly and how they have Pocket Casts on Android and how he thinks they're doing well. It's worth remembering a couple of weeks ago that Russell said that they're currently doing about sixty to seventy percent of their revenue through Google Play. In a moment, we're going to look at why some people actually want App Review to be stronger than it is. But before that, I would like to thank Cards Against Humanity for helping support this episode. This week, they've spoken to Greg Walland about some of the iOS games that he has made.
2: So, Greg, you've worked on what a lot of people would consider some of the all-time best iPhone games: Hundreds and Threes and Ridiculous Fishing and solid Ski.er
4: What do you think makes a great iPhone game?
3: Uh, I think a a good iPhone game kind of starts with a control scheme that's native to the the platform. I think that's important. It's kind of where a lot of the ideas and games I've worked on start. Um, we saw obscure is very much a mouse-based game. At the beginning, it was kind of for flash, and then we realized it would translate perfectly to touch, and it was even better with a finger.
4: What's the next, what are you working on right now?
3: Uh, Working on releasing a game called Touchtone, which is a sliding block puzzle about hacking and phone hacking, email hacking. Tagline is, if you solve something, say something.
4: And are you still living in a basement?
3: No. (laughs) Just one floor above a basement.
0: Apple announced that they would be reviewing every single app, it was expected by some and welcomed by others.
5: I was all for it and, and still am. I'm probably, I'm probably, I probably have a controversial opinion about this, I think, because I actually want a stronger app review. I want Apple to take more of an interest in the apps that are on the store and actually feel comfortable rejecting more apps than they reject today because I think what made the App Store special in the beginning and that we've lost a little bit of was that pretty much everything there was was good. I mean, it, it wasn't all great and people were still figuring out the platform, but the, the kind of um, insanely low-quality apps that are on the App Store today did not exist back then. And I think as we add more and more apps, it taxes all of the App Store systems. It taxes editorial, it taxes search. And if we had fewer higher-quality apps, I think... Customers would be happier and I wish Apple would take a little bit more of an activist stance on that. In the earlier days they would reject people for using the wrong icons in the wrong places, or they would reject for design validations, and they they don't they don't really do that anymore. And in one way that's led to interesting designs like clear and and things that would have never fit those paradigms. But more than that, a hundred times that, it's just led to lazy, lazily designed apps that 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 should have been kicked back in my opinion. I'm not one of those let the market decide people. I don't think the market's done a good job of, of picking high quality apps.
0: Matt Bischoff is not the only person that said this to me. And Mr. Bint, I was a little surprised. I didn't expect many developers to really be pushing for a stronger app review. But the more people I spoke to, the more people I found out felt this way. People like Guy English.
4: I just really expected Apple... I mean, the, the iPhone was so beautiful that, that I expected Apple to really uh, sort of take the opportunity to... Um, make sure that every single app that came out for the iPhone was as beautiful as if they had crafted it themselves. Um, In hindsight, that's a mistake, and I would have screwed up their app store for them if I'd been in charge of it. So I think they did the right thing. Um, But that's the way I was thinking of it, was to to maintain a tight editorial control and to only release only the highest caliber stuff. Uh, Like... I mean, what what are some of the early weird ones? Uh, well, any fart app would not, like, no. You don't get to do those. Sorry. Uh, the, uh, the I Am Rich app? No. Like that. No, you don't get... And, and eventually they did pull it. Um, but there were so many apps that were so incoherent, poorly designed, didn't really make sense for the iPhone. Um, you know, it immediately sort of flooded the... the third-party market, uh, software market, uh, with a lot of dreck, like a, a lot of things that I, I just personally didn't feel um, lived up to the promise of the platform.
0: I think that fundamentally, what I learned is not that they wanted App review to be tougher, but they just wanted clearer rules, with some of those rules centering around a quantification of taste. A world where Apple would be reviewing apps for their quality and ensuring that all apps meet certain standards of taste would certainly make for a very different app store experience to what we have today. I think many people would have accepted this more willingly than the current app review practice and would have made for an
3: extremely different experience to what we see today. And if I'm honest, I thought they would actually do go farther than they did in terms of that process, that... I, my hope had always been that AppReview was going to be something that tremendously raised the bar on software, that the, they only approved things that st- strongly and stringently met their guidelines, that you know, their purpose in doing that wasn't just to filter out scams, that their purpose was going to be to elevate the store and the quality of the store as a result. And history has shown, I think that may have been their goal, but the volume that they were dealing with means that I think the review process has turned much more into a net to hold back things that are undesirable, rather than something that is just, that is actually trying to elevate um, the quality of the store as, as, you know, itself.
0: A little earlier, David Smith mentioned Apple's developer relations team. These people seem to work alongside the app review team and are majorly hidden from most. You will remember from last week the people that were communicating with Greg Gardner about the rejection of his app launcher. There is a strong chance that some of these individuals were from the dev relations team. Developer relations are in theory representatives from Apple that are there to provide guidance to you, evangelize the platform and its new capabilities, and generally help you to help them advance the platform further. Some people are happy with their relationships with these individuals inside of Apple, some feel they can't get any contact at all, and some have been burned.
1: So I guess the biggest thing that, that we use them for is, um, one, to find out about you know, where things are going in the future and which technologies we should kind of latch onto. They're really um useful for that. And I, I think that's you know, that's kind of what they're there for. You know, with there's a new API that comes out or there's something new on the horizon, we can talk to them, you know, about um, you know, where is this going to go and should we plug into this bit or that bit. If you want your platform to be successful, you know, you need great apps. And one way to get great apps is to make sure that um developers on your platform are, are well supported and, you know, I know it sounds a bit airy-fairy, but you kind of want them to feel loved as well. You know, they're going to do better things if they feel motivated, if they have good kind of feelings towards you. And I see that as the the number one role of of developer relations, like personally. And I I don't know, I feel like I'm Apple bashing here, Mike, but our Apple developer representatives in Australia, um, I don't know what the ones in the US are like, but the ones here in Australia are really not, not that great. I mean, those guys, they don't even return my calls anymore. I went to WWDC in 2013 and this was at so to kick you back when Pocket Weather was first um taking off an Apple developer rep got in contact with us he said look you know here's my name here's my phone number um you need anything you let me know and here are some promotional opportunities that I'm I'm going to try and get you you guys on uh he he got our app into the Apple store so preloaded on every iPad was you know Pocket Weather Australia it was a, there was a really fun moment to go to the the Apple store and flick it on and be like look there's my app pre-installed check it out mom um and we had a really good relationship with him but what happened is like i said in 2012 we launched uh the android version of podcast we made a big deal about it being android first and there was a lot of marketing and promotion around that and then i stopped hearing from our apple developer rep you know completely and initially i thought no nah, maybe it's just me being paranoid so i'd send him an email and say hey look um we have some questions about you know these ios changes can you get back to me you know, no response. I'd, I'd try and call him. He wouldn't answer my calls. And then it's funny, at um, uh, WWDC 2013, when I was there, um, our developer rep was there as well, and he set up a meeting, you know, of all the... I think it was... It wasn't just Australia. It was Australia and New Zealand and maybe the surrounding regions in Asia as well. Like, a, let's have a developer meetup. And I, I caught up with him at that stage, and I'm like, you know, hi, how's it going? You know, do you remember me? He's like, yeah, yeah, of course I remember you. And I, I just... I tried to be a little bit frank with him. I said, look, it, it feels like we're not getting the the same level of support that we're used to and you don't even kind of answer my emails. And his exact words were, um, Russell, it's really obvious that you don't need our support anymore. You've got other people supporting you now. And he never said the words Android and he never said why, but I think he made it insanely clear that the fact that we'd had success on the platform and that we'd actually advertised that success um, either made him personally or maybe as a company thing, I really don't know. Uh, made them uncomfortable, and that was it. Uh, no more support uh, from you for him from here on out. And he made that really, really clear. And I mean, there was a few other people there as well, which was the the shocking part. But yeah, I, I guess in some ways I did take that personally. You know, that's probably not representative of of Apple as a whole. I'm sure there are really awesome you know developer reps in other part of the world. But uh, this particular experience kind of made me see the dark side of you know a company that is really tries to to make their products you know, feel and work better than everyone else's. And I guess maybe they take it really personally if, you know, developers don't just develop for their platform, if they're actually on other platforms as well. Russell's story is interesting
0: and concerning, but it is worth noting that I do only have this one example or something like this. There may be other people who have experienced situations like Russell's, or it may just be that Shifty Jelly are dealing with a difficult individual. Either way, It's not a great indication of a developer being made to feel welcome, especially by someone whose job title is developer relations. Well, I think some
6: people do have that connection with Apple.
0: Padraig and Oshin from Supertop haven't had any experience with developer relations at all, let alone a bad one.
6: Um, And, like, do have a number that they can call when there are problems. And even then, um, we see weird examples of apps being rejected for them and that they're not able to deal with it. So I guess it would have to be someone who has actual power to help you and, and often does help you. Maybe not, like not that they do everything you want every time, but I think it wouldn't be worth doing unless they could. They had the ability to help you out, you know? So even the, the people that have these connections now, like I used to think when the app store started, there was a rumor about how they were gonna have this like uh, velvet rope section where like the really good apps were and you had to have connections with Apple to get in there. I don't think, it never happened, but for a week or two people were talking about it. And at the time I hated that because I I was nobody and I knew I'd never have a contact at Apple. And that felt really unfair.
0: When we come back, I want to talk a little bit about the future of App Review, some of the things that seem to be positive changes, and some of the things that we think could improve App Review for everyone. But before that, let me take a quick moment to thank our friends at Campaign Monitor for helping support this week's episode. Campaign Monitor deliver an elegant email marketing service for designers, agencies, and businesses. More than 2 million people over 120,000 companies around the world love Campaign Monitor for its simple and beautiful user experience, pixel-perfect design, and 24-7 global support. Campaign Monitor's customers love their email-building tool. It's called Canvas, and it helps you create elegant, responsive templates that look incredible on all screen sizes, and you can even target your content according to your customers' preferences. Then, once you've sent out your campaigns, you can see how they perform in real time with Worldview. There's just something super cool about seeing your subscribers pop up on this amazing world map as they're interacting with your emails. Campaign Monitor works great with teams. It's super easy to collaborate with clients or the people that you work with. You can really easily set permissions, rebrand the interface, and even manage billing for client projects all from within the app. If you want to find out more about Campaign Monitor, go check them out and sign up for a free account right now at CampaignMonitor.com. Campaign Monitor, helping you send beautiful emails to get better results. This discussion is mute about thinking of and highlighting ways in which the app review process is and could be getting better. In February 2014, Apple acquired a company called Bursley, who made a product called TestFlight. TestFlight is a service that allowed developers to distribute beta versions of their apps to people for testing. It allowed app developers to get an idea of what people thought of their apps before they submitted them to the App Store. This is also a key part of the process for finding bugs and problems in your apps. Since acquiring Bursley, Apple has rolled TestFlight into their own developer tools and have made the process much easier for developers and testers alike. Apple initially came under criticism during this time as they mandated that all apps that use this new TestFlight system under Apple's control must go under a form of app review before going out to testers. This was an unpopular opinion, as beta apps are going to be a lot more rough than Finnish apps, and developers were concerned that if they used TestFlight, it would significantly slow down their development process. The previous TestFlight, owned under Burstly was completely independent from Apple. It of course ran on iOS devices, but it allowed people to circumvent this process. It didn't need to go through review, you were just able to install things directly to the device. But it was a more difficult process to get everything set up than what Apple offers today. However, on the whole, it seems that this new Apple-owned process is going smoothly. I have seen from many developers using this system, the app review for TestFlight apps seems to be going much faster than standard app review for the store. Again, we're not sure exactly what's being looked at here, but it appears to be a lighter process. The benefit to using this system with Apple basically gives developers a much earlier sense of any fundamental issues that Apple may have with your app. If you're earlier on in the development process and you're rejected during test flight review, you have the ability to change course of your app much earlier than if you are only finding this out at the end during the full review process. This is definitely an improvement over the previous system. It is worth noting, however, that an app that has been approved throughout using test flight must still be submitted for a standard formal review upon completion of the shipping version. The reason I have brought this up is because I do see it as a fundamental change in the app review process. It's adding a potential app review light. Whether people look at it this way or not, I do see it as a change that is fundamental and should be documented. I think this is showing a change in Apple and potentially their stance and the way that they look at developers and the way that they handle and review their applications. Is there a world in which Apple could abolish App Review?
6: Right now, I think that they should, like, in my ideal world, they should just stop <laughs> for the most part. Like, the, the scope of what App Review is should be cut way back to just security, preventing scams, preventing nothing that we'd ever really have any question about. Like, it wouldn't be like, oh, I, some people think it should be there, some people don't. Just anything that's totally black and white, then they can make that decision on. But for the most part, I think they should scale it way back. I think originally there was it's like there was a deal between app developers and Apple and it was like okay guys we'll keep the store really high quality we'll make sure that customers are totally happy to upgrade software and um we'll keep this platform really great um and in exchange you guys will you know you'll subject subject yourself to our decisions on what's acceptable or not and I think at the start people were happy to go with that and now as time's gone on it's it feels more and more like Apple hasn't kept its side of that bargain. And I think that's why we're seeing much more frustration with it now than we were before.
0: There is already an app store that doesn't have app review, and that's the Google Play Store. Russell Ivanovic has had a lot of experience of this with their apps at Shifty Jelly, and he has some opinions
1: about how they contrast. If you're talking about the submission, and I know I'm going to sound like a massive fanboy here, but it is literally better in every way. Like, their, their back end is is more modern, it works, you know, it doesn't have all the weird sort of errors that iTunes Connect has, not that I've experienced anyway. So that bit is is faster and easier. There's no approval process, so there's nothing to bump into from that sort of things. Interestingly,
0: one day before this episode was released, Google had announced that they have now initiated a form of approval process for the Play Store. They now have a system combined of automated tools and human review for submissions. However, this has actually been in place for a couple of months before they announced it, and nobody noticed. No Android developers had seen any kind of change. Google claims the apps submitted are still making it into their store within a couple of hours. This is vastly different to Apple, so even though they are now performing some kind of review, it's still worth highlighting how much more simple it seems
1: to be on the Play Store. Things always seem to go live an hour after we push them. Um, there's more flexibility. You can say roll this out to one percent of users, you know, initially, just to see how it goes. Um, the beta testing is is built in in a much better way than than TestFlight is. There is a negative though, and um, we don't have any experience in this whatsoever. But I do read about it sometimes, and that the negative is that um, Google tends to work the other way. So if they find or they think your app, you know. Um, violate someone's copyright or contains malware they can actually pull it and the problem with Google is that they don't have the the front-facing sort of support that Apple does so when something goes wrong with the rejection that's that's so common that Apple has you know an entire team dedicated to that and there's places that you know you can send in um, you know there's I think there's dispute resolution center or something Google has nothing like that so as far as I know if your app ever gets pulled from Google Play you're in for a world of hurt. Russell brings up a good point about the freedom for developers that
0: comes with Google Play. But the freedom can come at a price for the user. Scam apps, phishing apps, and complete rip-offs can freely enter the Google Play Store and are definitely more prevalent than what you'll find on the iOS App Store. For some users, it's hard to know which apps to trust. For Apple, their control over developers creates a safety net for the user. Finding the balance between the two scenarios is where we'll need to head in the future. Neither company is perfect on either front, but there is definitely a line somewhere in the middle. No one can argue that App Review has helped keep the app store focused to a point, but it comes at a cost to developers and confidence of the platform, in the ideas they choose to execute, and the speed with which they can fix critical bugs in their software. And of course, if you strive to keep a sense of quality in your store, when things don’t match that, it makes those more glaring emissions that potentially you would find on other platforms. Apple has a long way to go. We've seen them capable of change, but they are a big and slow moving beast, and considering their size and track record, it's hard to argue of how their decisions have gone for their bottom line. But developers have a bottom line too that they need to consider. Developers are very demanding of Apple on where they should go, because they want the company to be at its best at all times. And sometimes that means calling them out when they err too far on the side of control secrecy and saying no, because fundamentally and ultimately, the App Store is as important to independent developers and developers of all kinds as it is to Apple. They are sharing in this together. What makes Apple powerful internally is harmful externally. We've seen signs that they are moving to change this, becoming more open under Tim Cook, but there is still a lot of room for improvement. So far in this series, we've taken a look at a lot of the processes and the ways in which people work to get their apps out to the world. But where do the original ideas come from? How do people go from developing an idea into a product? That's what we're going to start looking at next week. Inquisitive is a production of Relay FM. You can find show notes and links for this episode at relay.fm inquisitive slash 31. Inquisitive is produced by Stephen Hackett, Adina Niamtsu, and me. Marco Savic is our editorial advisor. Huge thanks to everyone who has provided their time and feedback to help get this series off the ground. The music you've heard in this episode was created and provided by Brave Wave Productions. If you've enjoyed this episode, please subscribe to the show if you haven't already, tell your friends, and rate us on iTunes. Support for this episode has come from Campaign Monitor, Lender.com, and Cards Against Humanity. You can find out more about this show and all of our shows at Relay FM by visiting Relay.fm in your web browser. I am Mike Hurley at imike, I M Y K E on Twitter. Thank you so much for listening. Bye bye.